0: to the john petro show folks weekdays we start at 11 we go till 2 a.m 1380 99.9 if i you can always listen online at the website which is DPetro.com. just click listen live right up at the top <clears throat> uh dipetro.com brought to you by mills coffee check out the website you can link right through to delicious mills coffee folks it's time for our segment politics this week joining me he's the managing editor ocean it's justin katz and justin i want to start off with um Channel 10 uh, had a debate with House Speaker Nick Mattiello, who is uh, facing a challenger in Barbara Ann Fenton the wife of uh, Cranston Mayor Alan Fung. It was the first time that a lot of people got to see her, and it was her first debate ever. And let's talk about it a little bit. And initially, uh, at the very outset, I'd like to just hear some of your thoughts on how it went and how she did.
1: Well, firstly, I, I th- it was kind of a strange setup with uh, Speaker Mattiello sort of position behind her. And so every time she tried to speak, she had to turn a bit. So there was, there was a bit of a strange setup there. But I thought it was, other than that, I mean, watching it just as a, a spectator of politics, I thought it was a good uh, example of how how a debate can turn. So I th- I thought early on his main point, which he returned to again and again, Speaker Mattiello was, uh, I can get things done. I'm a powerful person in the the house and you don't want to give that up. I can bring money back to, to your city and I can stand against the... The, the left although he's changed his messaging on that quite a bit um and that was a pretty i thought pretty strong at the beginning where she seemed a little bit nervous as you said first debate in her opening statement and so on but as it went on she she started to go on the attack more and more with the uh the, sort of the circle of corruption which is an image she raised and i thought that was very effective you know when when everybody in this ring of of problems is scandal is is being jammed up with the law uh you have to start wondering about the person in the middle and i thought toward the end she started to put him on the defensive there and the 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 advantage started to shift toward her so at the beginning of uh the at the beginning of the season when they'll be campaigning in earnest that was the the main trend that i spotted in the debate
0: she um I, you know, I think she was nervous. I mean, it was her first, it's your first debate and you're up against the, the speaker of the house and Yellow. You know, it's interesting, Justin, is there's so much to go after him on. Um, she, I, by all accounts, I'm going to go on the fact that he's now putting out mailers going on the, the offensive and being negative against her. He never did that with Steve Pryas. Um, Steve Pryas ran against him twice, 2016, 2018 came close both times, especially in 2016. Um, but never did he go negative on Frias. He's already starting to go negative on, on her. I think if, if you're thinking of of voting for her and then you watched her in that debate, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, I, I think you feel comfortable that she could handle the job. But, you know, it's also, Justin, he's almost become like, to me, almost like a character. I mean, at, at times, Matty Yellow could almost border on, you know, like a Saturday Night Live type of thing. I mean he had a think about that he had a grand jury he was the target of he insists the brit Brit trial that's coming up has nothing to do with him even though it was about his campaign and every time she mentions some of his what about frank montanaro what about ray gallison went to federal prison it starts to become like the greatest hits to me where like oh like there's so many scandals to go after him let alone the fact he's been absent during this entire time of of the whole covid uh, pandemic
1: right and and he had a i thought she had a, a very effective response when he tried to play that off as oh we're still very involved at, at the house level all right so you've got secret plans Was basically yes. what she said we need to know the plans that's how it's supposed to work and i think that's where she started to, the tide really started to turn uh and I, th- I think what you're talking about gets right to the question of the race there are really two selling points for for Nicholas Mattiello for that district of Cranston. Uh, One is he's the speaker, which gives him disproportionate authority in the state, so he can in fact bring stuff back to them. He's got a lot of extra pull there uh, that a a representative from a minority party would not have. That's true, Uh, and he's also uh, coming forward with the been pushing the idea that he's a firewall in a relatively conservative district. He's the he said he's promising to be the one to stand up against tax increases and so on and so forth. But what's interesting there, he, he has changed his messaging there. It was at the, two years ago, it was the pro- firewall against the progressives. He was very, he was fine with that. In this debate, he shifted that substantially to be on the firewall against bad ideas, which uh, Barbara and Fenton Fung started to push back on was, you know, you're, you're not standing up. You, you brought the, uh, The anti the pro-abortion bill to the floor that's not what a firewall does and so i think that's the question that's going to be answered in that race are the goodies worth uh dealing with the this smell of corruption around his his the people near him uh you know you can't just say uh, somebody helping you with your campaign was an outside contractor you hired that person for a reason um so that is the is the are the goodies worth the corruption and is that in the context of if he's fading as protection for, for your beliefs as a, a a more moderate or conservative person? I think that's that's going to be a, a the, the question that's going to be answered in this race. You know,
0: that's an excellent point. And on top of that, that has, has been his speaking, uh, talking point against all his people, which is he's the firewall against progressives. I thought she hit back against that very effectively by saying, yeah, but you just named three of them. To leadership positions so you're not you're not stopping them now you're elevating them and that's why i think notice he's even changed his talking point to on the firewall against bad ideas whatever that means now i i know we still have a long way to go um it's tough to get a a feel on it but to me he i've i've covered him you know just like you have for the past more than eight years and i i would have liked to had her even remind people that he was gordon fox's number two he was the the majority leader and then fox of course was drummed out of office but my point is i i to me he seemed very rattled and unbalanced and when when your speaker nick mattiello going into a debate like that there's so many landmines i think the format really favored him because i i more time than she did And several times, the moderator, who I'd like and know and respect, Gene Villasanti, he would say, go to her and say, okay, but you only got 20 seconds. Two minutes and threw out a lot of uh, misstatements. Um, But I think you're right about the firewall. What's your final thought on the two of them? They're going to face off again in late October on Channel 12. I wouldn't be surprised if he offers a a third debate to her just because he's um i, I think he knows he's behind. well i think
1: the she definitely left that debate having picked up some good not only having rattled him i think but picked up some good yeah. idea of where to go so for example you know if he's down to the argument i'm the speaker i can get it done and get you goodies if that's what's left um uh, and meanwhile, he's elevating progressives. She can start asking, well, what are you going to have to buy in order to get those goodies? How much of Rhode Island are you going to have to sell out? How many progressives are you going to have to uh, give what they want in order to get us our car tax or this or that? So she, he, he's really in a, he was in a difficult position given all of the corruption around him. Uh, I think he's in a more difficult position now. And, and it, it's kind of, I'm, I'm not sure what he would hope to gain by more um, debates unless he's going to start as you as you suggest to start going going negative and trying to drag her down
0: yeah and one final thought one that i think is a good sign for i'll say democracy and not good for him is immediately after that debate um he 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 mentioned two things in the debate that then the media pushed back on one is he said oh the the grand jury's closed that didn't go anywhere and it's over in a way and and everyone said no we don't know that no one has said that so he's saying something that fundamentally uh, could have been pushed back a little bit more. How do you know that Did someone tell you that uh, his top aides were subpoenaed? And number two, he also said, well, Blake Filippi wouldn't sign off on he he wouldn't sign off on the audit. And then Filippi, uh the, the minority leader, released a statement the next day saying that that wasn't true. So I at least like because there was another incident, you go back several years ago, <clears throat> actually, it was it was over the Sean Lawton thing where Matty Yellow and debate with Steve Pryor since Channel 12 said, I, I had no knowledge of that. I didn't know anything about it and all this. They didn't know anything about it. He said that the debate my team. I check with everyone. No one knew anything about it. And then, you know, the trial for that starts uh, next Monday. Um, folks, we're going to take a quick break. A lot more politics this week with Justin Katz on the John DePietro show. We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor OceanStateCurrent.com. Our segment is Politics This Week. Justin, I'd like to get your reaction to, um, on Saturday I was there, and uh, full disclosure, I was part of it. I was asked to be the MC. I gladly did that. And, um, you know, I've done a number of different rallies, Uh, a lot of people, myself included. I thought uh, there could have been a better location selected just because a lot of people are fearful of providence. But that was quite a statement that there was on Saturday morning. Uh, there were, I'd say, over 600, somewhere between 600-700 Trump supporters at the Rhode Island State House, and uh, very, very, I thought, very, very impressive. But well, I, I
1: think again, the the contrast is what stands out to me. I mean, you've got a, a rally on a, a nice Saturday morning, flags, you know, patriotic, uh, supporting police. That's and it, it feels yeah. like a you know parade or a political rally is is supposed to feel like, and you contrast that with um, with the riots and the disruption and trying to block highways and uh, attacking journalists from the left. That's the contrast that's been set up, and we we started to see that on Saturday in one event where some of the the leftist agitators came to sort of disrupt. Uh, the the Trump rally and I think the image that emerges from it is when you see which way the police are facing I and mean, I think that's that's kind of the the narrative that I think people need to start thinking through which Good way point. who are the police protecting and who are they protecting them from i, I and I, I also noticed there were progressive journalist, local progressive journalists covering the Trump rally, and unless I missed the, their coverage, none of them uh, were attacked or, or threatened or drawn driven <laughs> off the property.
0: No, God, no. No, nothing like that. You know, that's that's an excellent point. It was also interesting that several years ago, March of 2017, they had a March for Trump in March at the State House, and the other side uh, that came, led by Aaron Rugenberg, and they had a band and they basically blasted out. You couldn't hear anything. They were right there on the right side. There were a lot of them. They were screaming the whole time. They were banging things. Total disruption. You couldn't hear any of the speakers at the Trump row. But times have changed. And this time along, when this anti-police, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa group showed up, and they had the signs, and they have all the garb and the shields, and they have bicycle helmets and goggles and uh, umbrellas and everything else... But this time around, because of the climate, the police told them they wouldn't let them in because they'd be basically instigating a riot. And what was also, I think, um, worth noting was before the police even got there to stop them, there were civilians there. And what I understand, it was a lot of women and even back the blue people. They were the ones telling them, you're not coming in here. And, and then they ended up, they, they went away. Um, and it was peaceful, and that 's a very good point. The police felt comfortable turning their back, having their back to the the Trump people. They certainly would not um and that was from what I understand it was Providence police and what was also not reported was the 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 uh left wing embedded journalist of the protesters. he was there. He never got his camera and went to film them in any way. uh He just kept it focused on all the speakers and then wanted to shoot it that way. But they then went skunk away. I heard that the language that we used, at the police were ferocious. Of course, none of that was reported by the media. The media mentioned they showed up, but they always leave out the language. And Justin Katz, I I think, you know, and I I talked to some members of the police that were there. I talked to some people that were there. You know, these are people that are threatening the police. They're saying vulgarities at the police. uh, You know, all this other type of stuff. And none of that gets reported. And let's dovetable into. My God, the, the the media was all upset because a protester kicked a camera Friday night. That was uh, following the march. The
1: <laughs> yeah, morning. that was that one starts to get to be a little hard to take. I mean, I, how dare they? Well, Where have you been? I mean, this is especially with with you out there. They, I mean, they've been driving you off the property, out of public parks, trying to blind yes. you with a laser. Uh, you know, it, blocking your coverage of, of events, and that's no, that's that's crickets. No, no noise about that. But one of one of the approved members of the local news media gets a camera kicked and and that's that's an atrocity. And it, what makes me wonder is when they'll realize that they can't play footsie with this dragon. You'll never be radical enough for them. You'll never favor them enough. Uh, I thought it was interesting um, to name Shannon Hedgie. I don't know if I've gotten that right in the last name, but she's from Channel... Yeah. Yeah, on uh, WPRI on 12. She tweeted out outrage and disgust at the attack on the Channel 6 camera um, saying we were supposed to be neutral. That's our job. And it was a very interesting contrast. There were really two waves of responses to her. One of them, the first was sort of the Antifa wave, which was being neutral means not being neutral because the people we oppose are so bad. and And, and the left wing is so good. You have to support us because that's the right thing to do and then the next wave was you're already not neutral you're already favoring the opposition and i think that's that's really the the lesson here for the news media at some point you're going to have to choose if you're if you're an approved journalist for them or you're a disapproved journalist and you're going to try to do a job that's what uh said trying to be more neutral and tell people what's actually happening Uh, and i thought i thought about it as well I noticed in some of your other other coverage of of Black Lives Matter movement, the leader, um, I forget his name, but bro- brother, uh, whatever,
0: brother Gary, brother Gary, uh,
1: he said he would only talk to you if you raised your fist uh, first.
0: Oh, that was a that
1: was actually another. Okay, but I, yes, that was outside the police station. Yeah, but right? I. And I I couldn't help but wonder sure. yes. how many of these mainstream journalists are perfectly happy to raise that fist. They won't report it, but they'll do it yes. just for the benefit of those uh those activists in order to get the coverage and to be treated well. So it's almost as if the contract has been has been broken here. And we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, um the whole thing is, is very educational um and starts to tell you where people stand in all this stuff. And I, I think the news meet is big into that. I mean, we we discussed, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, the, I think the anchor for Channel 10, another one, Lindsay Lataluca, she had tweeted out that you, there, there is no opinion in social justice, it's all just human decency. Uh, so there's, there's a real contrast, a real, a real disconnect between sort of the legend of journalists and what they're actually doing and, and proving by their actions. And I, I, for goodness, I think uh, unless they're willing to go full radical, we're gonna we're gonna see them having to make that decision if they're gonna continue to to cover these rallies as quote mostly peaceful and or or actually start standing on the side of people. I'm sort of like the police did. I was I was kind of you know you you see you, it's a little surprising in you know deep blue Rhode Island, but um, our the police in our area, the state police stopped the the Breonna uh, Taylor protesters from walking onto the highway, and and I think. They even pepper sprayed them, so that's a that's in contrast to other areas where the the protesters pretty much get the run of the, the land. So it appears that law enforcement in Rhode Island has caught on. Uh, so, so the next question is when uh, the journalists will.
0: You know, that's an excellent point. A couple of things about that. They, um, I was there Wednesday night outside the Providence Public Safety Complex, and they told me, you know, unless you raise your fist, you know, in support, we're not going to. Do it. And then they they did tell me I was the only one not to do it. And they did several interviews that night. So that's revealing. Number two, Friday is when they put out a press release. They mentioned me by name name several times. They attack me, identify me as the target, the next target. I posted it on my Facebook page. No one mentions that in the media. Number three, they were all upset because one of the protesters kicked a Channel six camera, not the cameraman camera on the ground. Justin, you know, to put this in perspective, they're marching around as they have all summer. they're talking about killing police, killing police. Kat Kerwin was at the place um Fortnite, where it says, "Kill the cop in your mind all this other stuff and and they number one, the media doesn't report it number two, let's just put this in perspective. They were all upset because one of them kicked a camera, and yet they you know you, you, you the police who are protecting them, they talk about killing them. I also thought it was interesting on, um, when they did go onto the highway and part of the highway that um, there was their moment where it was just them and like one or two police officers. If they wanted to, they could have gotten really aggressive with the police. If they really wanted to, you know, fight them, have a showdown, that was the moment. There's speeding cars going by. It's like in a movie where that's, there's more of them than the police. And one of the, um, the, the liberal blog reporter who was progressive was in with them, put out in his report that uh, two cameramen uh, said that if they went onto the highway, they would lose their jobs. Now that tells me two things. They were inviting the cameraman to come up here, come film me up here on the highway. And then, so they're inviting them to do it. And then the cameraman said, I can't, or I'm going to lose my job. Now, I mean, I think that should have been reported that they were telling the, the the cameraman, I think it was from channel 12 come film us on the highway. They didn't do that. But again, I I just don't you and I have talked about this. I've been following it all summer. There's been this narrative. They leave out so much information about it. They interview them and they don't put their police records or ask them about different things. It's always like fluff. And then, you know, it's it's kind of what the police have been observing that we've been observing. Uh, And then they're aghast and shocked when, you know, suddenly the camera gets kicked that was was on the ground, by the way, but was still um, kicked. Folks, another quick break. And then we're back with Justin Katz, Politics This Week, right here on the John DePietro Show. We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor, OceanStateCurrent.com. Folks, our segment is Politics This Week. Justin, um, well, the Supreme Court, President Trump has his nominee, ACB, Amy Coney Barrett. However, locally led by ultra progressive Aaron Rugenberg, he is still demanding and screaming that White House and Reed are not doing enough and yesterday started mapping out exactly the strategy that Sheldon White House should be doing to prevent any type of discussion or debate on this nomination.
1: Well yeah the conservative I mean the progressives have been, you know, in Rhode Island especially feeling feeling on a feeling a surge. And this is a big issue for them. There's there's a, a real chance that substantively the court might change uh, from uh, being kind of a, an activist for radical causes to impose, to upholding the law as it's written. I mean that's a, a shift that is actually feasible with the with the trade of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Amy Coney Barrett, and I, so they're they're rightly concerned and they're feeling. I mean for their side and they're they're feeling. They're feeling strong right now, and I, I think that's that's really what it what it comes down to. And so all they can do in Rhode Island uh, is pressure the, the lo- their local state Senate senators who are already largely on their side to to one extent or another, uh, pressuring them to to be more radical. Uh, and so I, I think that that could, in the long run, uh, create some challenges for our congressional delegation, but maybe not. I mean, if you look at the David Cicilline, the congressman has been been somewhat of a, the, the most prominent of the four, you could say our four congressional delegates. And in response to the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all of them you know, lauded her and her, her achievements. He went, went into extensive detail, um, you know, attacking Republicans and, and talking about the threat. It was always, always on the progressive attack with David Cicilline. So I think that's probably more, Leading edge than outlier with, with the four of them. He'll prob- they'll probably start to move in that direction. Although on the other hand, it, if it, it, it the Republicans in the Senate have have already gained the support of some of the some of the question marks in their own ranks, like notably Mitt Romney, uh, for for confirming uh, Justice before the election. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see how much Reed and White House want to how many chips they want to play on something that looks like a dead end uh, effort.
0: Yes. And you know what you know what else, Justin, as much as people complain, and for good reason, that there's no uh, real representation of Washington, uh, I mean we have, you know, four Democrats there. I, I think you know, what is it gonna say that the progressives look at Reed and White House like you're you're not representing our interest? Um now Reed uh, Senator Reed is up for re-election in November. There's no reason to believe that I see that he's not gonna be re-elected. And there was token opposition to Langevin, but I just wonder down the line senator Whitehouse, um if if someone they're going to start to feel from some heat from from the left side because uh, those are two senators that by and large unless something changes dramatically in the next six weeks uh senator reed they get reelected very comfortably same thing with senator Whitehouse; house who did have opposition with bob flanders but but i i think it's just it's kind of a, a different dynamic that you have you have many people that don't feel that being representative washington the progressives don't feel that the, the Reid and White House of representing them accurately or effectively, and then you because you know there you have Markey in in uh, in Massachusetts, you know who's far more along the lines of AOC and and very very progressive, the most progressive, and then you have um, you know people in the middle um, Republicans mainly that don't feel they have any representation. Well, I, I, in Washington, because yeah, of no, I think that's ahead. I think
1: that's accurate, and I I think you know. <laughs> I disagree with their beliefs, but the progressives have a point that they're not being represented. Although white house spent much of his last term as one of the more radicals and he was prominent in going after, uh, chief uh, justice Kavanaugh, or now justice Kavanaugh, uh, in those hearings. So, uh, he has been between the two more progressive. So it'd be, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, if the radicals again up the game, because you're, you're never radical enough to satisfy them. Um, and meanwhile you know it's it's coming to a point where others are going to have to start making a decision read uh, as a as a politician but but just the rank and file democrats and people who vote that way uh, habitually are going to have to start making a decision of is this changing are these radicals really bringing about uh democrat candidates that reflect my views. And I think a lot of them are concluding that they're not, but the question is can the radicals get enough of what they want before, almost before it's too late uh, for the for the, a moderate wave to come back and put them in their place.
0: You know, um, folks, uh, but, but again, we're sweet with Justin Katz, managing editor, oceanstatecard.com, a segment is politics this week. Justin, finally, um, the, cha- the Providence Journal has uh, a story about some different races to watch something that's just jumped kind of jumped out at me was the reporter was doing the north kings the uh, senate state senate race which features uh republican dorian costa the progressive candidate whose name escapes me and I, I i gotta admit i didn't realize there was even a third candidate in the race uh, matt Mannix, who is the narragansett town council president i didn't realize he's running as an independent that certainly makes it much more much 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 more difficult if not impossible for Costa, but something that, and then some of the other races are, are mentioned there, but something that jumps out at me is the reporter mentions how Costa's going around and a lot of people are concerned about the defunding of the police and the protesters, but then he never even asked the progressive candidate, what is their position on that? And, and how does that, you know, kind of map out? But I, I think that is a race to watch. I think, um, I don't know if it's by design, but the Republicans trying to make gains in the state Senate if, if they can make that happen, that's a really wise move because there's less people in the Senate. So if you get, you know, four people elected in the Senate from Republicans, that that is a huge shift and change than uh, the amount of people that are in the House.
1: Right. And, and it's important, too, because you start to be able to affect uh, things like who, who votes for the presidency. Also, In that article, um, it was disclosed that Dorian Costa did meet or have a conversation with Senate President Ruggiero. Um it doesn't seem like anything came out of that conversation, but but it's interesting that it, it took place. There is there. It, it does come. Not in a yeah. good way,
0: either. Uh, that's a lot of backlash on that. What are you talking about? Well, for? There's nothing good about that. You know, uh, yeah,
1: there, I guess that can go both ways. But the but it does show the there is an opening on the right to start to make a case. You know, for, So Rogério until very recently, was a, a considered a pro-life Democrat. Uh, now he was along with House Speaker Mattiello brought an anti uh, a, a pro abortion bill to the, the fruition in the, the General Assembly. So they're they're being pulled to the left, and there are games to be made uh, for Republicans and other conservatives if they can start to persuade people that their values aren't being represented in General Assembly. But of course, as as you noted, the, in typical fashion, you know you've got the conservative trump voting independent splitting the vote in that dis- in that race in particular and i think that yeah points to one of the the bigger problems it's to progressives have pretty a pretty wide open lane in that they've they've got the left they've got the radicals but they also can just pick pretty easily pick up the people who just voting democrat is what they do they, they're th- still thinking back i mean even mattiello in the debate said i'm a jfk democrat well they there are a lot fewer and fewer of those are in the general assembly uh and at some point voters have to start adjusting uh the their the way they vote and so i, I but in, in typical fashion uh, the the right has a, a way of getting in its way um and i think that's a function of having so little there, there's so little barriers between deciding you might run and actually running um because there's no there's no institution on the, on a republican side there no there's no line to get in it's just you can you can practically run for you well you can you can literally run for u.s senate with no opposition from the uh, any other republican in rhode island because it's just so the field is just so bereft of composition
0: folks he is the managing editor of OceansTakeCurrent.com. just the cats just great job uh, stay safe always a pleasure john